Hey there, I'm Pete Townsend, and this is Money Never Sleeps. We look inside the minds of entrepreneurs and at the crossover of startups, enterprise, finance, technology, and life as we know it. On the show this week, we've got Neil Peters, co-founder and CEO of JR Studio. JR Studio is a frictionless Web3 gaming platform that gives game creators the superpowers to build, host, launch, manage, and grow their games and communities. JR Studio is also one of the 12 founding teams forming the Techstars Web3 Accelerator class of 2023. After launching his first business as a 14-year-old gamer building websites, Neil spent 18 years as an IT architect and in public-private hybrid cloud, software development, and blockchain. He also co-founded and led a venture capital business during the last crypto bull run, focused on Web3 gaming and NFTs, and that was the step that led him towards getting together with Marco Colasso and Alex Gusevsky in 2022 to build what has become JR Studio. In this episode, Neil and I riff on his earliest days in tech and the eventual path that he took with Marco and Alex with JR Studio before we dive into what JR Studio is now and what it will become. We also get into the long arc of infrastructure and innovation we'll need to get to the Hollywood vision of the metaverse and the role of gaming in that journey, along with what Neil points to in his own development as a founder that helps to keep things moving. All right here on Money Never Sleeps. Neil, how the hell are you doing in Amsterdam today? You're not actually in Amsterdam, though, are you? No, I'm not in Amsterdam, though. I'm in Arnhem. It's in the east of the Netherlands. And you are wearing a wonderful orange t-shirt today. Yeah, same as you. <laughs> no, mine's red. Mine's red. Oh, wow. <laughs> this is my Che Guevara t-shirt that I just pulled out. But it's, yeah, no, I'm close enough. So anyway, but listen, this is the first time that you and I are having the chance to get deeper into what's going on in your head and what's going on with JR Studio. I mean, obviously, we've had lots of chats over the last 12 weeks, but they've been very much to do with things like go-to-market strategy, customer interviews, funding, all of that. So I've been looking forward to this one, given how long that we had been talking since before the, yeah, we've been since before the program kicked off. We did. Yeah, the free accelerator, and that's where you found us, and that's I, th- I don't know how many months ago it was. It was before. It was, to say, it was November, December timeframe because yeah. it was when the Founders Boost email went out with a highlight of all the demo day companies. I picked you guys out of that because you're the only Web3 one out of like seven or eight different Founders Boost programs. And shout out to Blake Caldwell, who's the yeah. CEO and co founder of Founders Boost, and also Gene Murphy who was one of his original co-founders going back a number of years. And he's now with a company called Bolster. And we've been doing a few things with Gene of late, who's a really good guy. So listen, I wanted to dig in, Neil, and think about this from the perspective of you had about 18 years of, what's the word? Fermentation. (laughs) (laughs) Fermentation, maybe being an IT architect in infrastructure, public-private hybrid cloud, software development, blockchain, before you decided to go in the direction that you are now of being a startup founder. And there's got to be something in there through your experience across those 18 years that kind of points to your willingness and your inspiration and desire to go this direction, is there something that you can point to that is notable to you and stands out with your experience over the last number of years that got you to this point? 
Yeah, I think it started even before I started my career in IT. I think I was 14 years old. I started my own company building websites. Back in the days, it was booming business, of course. And I really loved the entrepreneurship to, to help companies basically yeah, build websites and do stuff for them. And I was just 14 years old. So it was strange doing that next to my school, of course. And I think entrepreneurship killed my school experience also a little bit because during the day I was working at school and then during the evenings I was working for my clients. And next to that, I had a pretty decent gaming career. I was a highly placed Counter-Strike player. So and some people say gaming is not entrepreneurship, but I think gaming is entrepreneurship as well because you're building a career in gaming, basically. So I was 17 when I started my IT career, which is pretty young. Normally, people go to college and I chose a different route. I left high school and then was like, okay, I need to do something with my life, so I'm going to work. So I started off as a service desk employee. And basically, in those 17, 18 years I'm doing IT now, I've you know, worked my way up and did education during my work. So I have a track record of working and educating myself during basically on the job. Yeah, there, there's something about gaming, which is interesting there. And I was listening to a podcast, as I do recently. I think it was the Web3 Breakdowns one that Eric Golden does. And it was a spinoff of Invest Like the Best that Patrick O'Shaughnessy does. And he originally did these Web3 breakdowns. And there was, I forget who it was, but he was talking about speed running. He was talking about speed running through video games. And the fact that if you can pick up enough on the patterns of what's going on around you, you can just move very quickly through these games and get to the next level and the next level and the next level. But it takes that dedication, that focus, that time spent to honing your craft within this game to do this speed running to be able to actually move quickly. In the startup space, there's a huge amount of pattern recognition you need to be able to do when you're talking to customers. When you're dealing with unexpected situations, being able to pick up on these patterns. Do you think there was that, that gaming perhaps gave you this skill with pattern recognition when it comes to behaviors? I think it's a combination, of course. I think gaming started it and my professional career boosted it even more. I didn't stop gaming in between. So I think both of them are yeah, making it stronger. I've Interesting. Seen, yeah, I've never seen this comparison, but now, I've, now I'm thinking of it. It's, yeah, it's pretty logical. You, you know, I love my analogies, Neil. Yeah, <laughs> I love your analogies too. <laughs> no, I, I get that. I get that. And, you know, the, really interesting that you started when you were 14 with the websites and that this is kind of just laid this path for everything else. But you, you did have a very interesting intersection point with all of this where I think your first start with becoming a startup founder wasn't necessarily the idea of JR Studio as it is right now but was with a predecessor with the letters JR, which was Jungle Race. Yeah, and that you getting together with Marco as well as Ace, Alex is, he's referred to, I guess, professionally, but colloquially, if I can say that right, we all call him Ace, right? Yeah. That what was the point where the three of you got together to start this journey? Yeah, the three of us, no, I have to say, I know Marco for five or six years already. We've worked together for a few blockchain companies in different roles. 
And I think it was three years, two or three years ago, when Marco and I had the idea to start a, a community-based venture capital. We we were deeply connected within communities. We were like, yeah, we know how fundraising works. No, we thought we knew how fundraising works. So we started a community-based venture capital together, and we built a community of around 300 investors, active investors, which was amazing. It was during the bull run as well. So it was a very active group. And that's where we met Alex. Alex was a community member for our venture capital. And then the bear market came. So in a bear market, community members don't like investing because they see their money drowning, of course. So Marco and I were like, we need to do something else. As I said before, I don't like sitting still. I need to move. I need to make progress. So Marco and I started Jungle Race, which is an NFT racing game. And the reason behind it, because we helped 13 NFT racing games or NFT games, I have to say, launch in the good market. And we see all those games drowning now. Yeah, The market caps of those games are literally dead. And I don't want to say they're Ponzi schemes, but we wanted to do it different. We wanted to put on a real fun to play game same as I had with Counter-Strike. If you look at Counter-Strike now, people are still playing it. There are millions of dollars of revenue still going through Counter-Strike. And we wanted to do something like that. We wanted to build a fun game that people would come back to every day and play it because of so they can reduce stress and have fun. So we started the Jungle Race NFT, NFT racing game. We build a community, we build an MVP. But in a bear market, it's really, really hard to raise money for games. So... We sat back with each other during that time, by the way, uh, we hooked up Alex because Marco and I are both non-native English ones. So we wrote the backstories of the game and Alex was reading it. He was like, guys, you cannot publish this. Uh, so you need to redo everything. And it was also before ChatGPT, of course. So Alex did the back writing of all our characters of the game. And that's how we hooked up Alex. And he helped us with that. And he never left our company anymore. But during the development of the NFT racing game, we discovered a few issues. And I think it was during Founders Boost when a mentor, he said to us, guys, you want to develop an NFT racing game. And after that, you want to do a platform, but you're encountering issues which you are resolving in your platform. So why are you struggling with the issues that you have now? And why are you resolving them later? You should resolve them first before you do NFT racing games. And it was yeah during a pre-accelerator, we pivoted. And a pre-accelerator is intense. You probably know that as well. So pivoting during a pre-accelerator is even more intense because you have 12 weeks to complete the program. And we were doing a pivot in the middle of the program. It was a really intense time. And yeah, as a team, it brought us closer together and it really helped us set our mission and vision that we have now. Interesting. Interesting. Who was that, that mentor, by the way, if you're free to name who that was? Yeah, it was Arian. I forgot his last name because we always call him Arian. We still keep him updated. He was, he's a founder of a company. Yeah, it's a unicorn company. So uh, he knows a lot about tech. He knows something about Web3. There was one of the mentors who knew something about Web3. And it really helped us yeah, pivoting into JR Studio, what we are now. Okay. Interesting that it came from even starting with Jungle Race and building that game. The impetus for that was because you had already helped 12 projects get their game, their NFT game live. So it's like, okay, well, why don't we just do one? And then where it went back to was helping gaming studios, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, the, I would say the circle is now complete, but we're far from this circle being complete, Neil Peters, are we? Yes, but we are. listen, let's dig into what JR Studio is. 
given that you've teed it up so nicely for us, Neil. And what is it now and what do you think it will become? Yeah, if you look at JR Studio, the name, of course, is we had the Jungle Race games. So the JR Studios Jungle Race Studio, we wanted to honor that name because that's how we started it. And we present ourselves basically as a gaming studio providing a platform for studios, but we're not a gaming studio anymore. But we know how to develop a game. We have the experience with it. So what we are doing now, we're developing a platform as a service for those studios, for gaming studios, small indie and hybrid studios, to make sure that they can reduce their development complexity. They don't need to hire staff for difficult blockchain integrations or wallet integrations. And based on a lot of interviews that we did, we noticed that they also have a lot of issues creating a community. Marco and I have the experience on creating communities and we know how to build up. So with our partners, we were like, how can we help those studios? Because we like to help people. And I think our history shows that, that we love to help other companies scale. And eventually when other companies scale, we will scale ourselves as well by using our platform. Gotcha. And I can see where you're all headed with this today, right now, and probably for the next, you know, six to 18 months where you're going with this. What would you like it to become in the long run? In the long run, we want to be the go-to platform for gaming studios. So if you look at, if you think of blockchain gaming or Web3 gaming, in a few years, you will think, okay, so we need to go to JR Studio because those guys know how to do the integrations. It doesn't matter how small or big your game is. You can use our platform. And that's our goal, not to be there only for the small and, and indie studios, but also for the larger studios. We are the go-to platform for blockchain gaming. I got you. Okay. We were talking back a few months ago. One of the things that was quite impressive about you guys as a team was that in-depth market analysis that you did. It was like 20 pages. And how you were segmenting that market, the gaming market, and what your targets were going to be. Looking back now on that, compared to all the customer interviews you've done, do you think that your analysis was right or how have things evolved? How has your mindset shifted about your target market over the last few months? Yeah, so I think the report that you've seen was was a short version. We also have a long version of 60 plus pages. It took us really, it took us months to do the research and the end up research because we loved knowing the market more and more and the more you dig into something the, the more information you find the more digging you have to do and we really loved creating the report and in the past few weeks we did over 30 official interviews and i think we're at 50 or 60 studios that we spoke also unofficially we were right of course our focus shifted a little bit from yeah from before when we started techstars to what we are now with the help of all the mentors so what we're doing now, we're gathering all the data that we've collected from the interviews, including market researchers from Binance and several other big market players to do a new market research to prove that we were right. And not only to prove that we were right, but to prove that the market is growing and the market is going to explode even more than it's doing now. I got you. You can expect a new market report in your email soon. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Looking forward to that. One of the things I wanted to talk about as well with you, Neil, is this whole metaverse theme that became a bit overdone in the end of 2021 and 2022. And I think it was once that people actually entered into what was being called these metaverse zones, they found it was just like a poorly developed video game with not much going on inside these, these zones, I'll just call them, right? And that 
I think with all the reading I've done, though, and my whole view on this space, that I'm pretty convinced that when we eventually get to this Hollywood version of the metaverse, that the roads there will have been built by the gaming industry. But the big things we don't have right now are the fiber optic cabling that are capable of moving data at twice the speed of light, which is kind of what you need in order to get a message from a piece of data or this instruction coming from a controller in New York to a server in Hong Kong, right? If, the, if that's where it may be. And you know infrastructure, right? You know all this stuff better than me. Yeah. And in order so that you don't have the latency and that latency is described as when you hit that controller, do you see what's happening on the screen happening right away? If you are multiplying that times wearing a VR headset, and moving, a hap moving your hand with a haptic glove on it and trying to have that control the motion on a, on a game that is stored on a server that is across the other side of the world, you're just not, right now, technology just isn't there to support this Hollywood version of the metaverse. But with how quickly technology has gone over the last number of, you know, even the last 10 years, I think that we will get there eventually, right? But with this, Think back to the 70s and 80s with Pong, with Asteroid, with Pac-Man, with all these games compared to where we are now with like Fortnite and all these other games you know well. I've got to expect that we're going to get there to this Hollywood version of the metaverse in a lot quicker than 40 to 50 years. Do you think that gaming is going to play a big role in this? And what is it that gets you most excited about it in terms of you know what will get us there? Yeah, so... What you started off with it, in 2020, 2021, a lot of companies started into metaverse. And I think the definition of metaverse is really important. So what is a metaverse? There were a lot of gaming studios building an open world where people could enter and do stuff. And I don't know if that's a metaverse. We've seen companies doing metaverses for shopping, for example. So those are real world use cases where in the future, I think when the technology can pick up, People will use it. How cool would it be if you put on your VR glasses or maybe maybe even AR and you can walk into a shop, let's say a normal clothing shop, you can see yourself in a mirror and then you can fit on clothes, like see how they are actually are. There are tools where you can already do it. There are websites where you can fit on clothing for yourself. So I think virtual worlds and, and metaverse will become, I don't want to say a standard, but a lot of people will use it as long as the technology is ready for it. And so far, what I've seen, technology isn't ready for it yet. It's just open worlds, and it's not used widely, not even widely enough. And the technology will pick up, because in IT, I've never seen so many traction on, on progress, on speed, on processor speed. Everything is going so fast, and developments, you cannot keep up with the development if you want to do everything. So yeah, I think eventually gaming will be how I see it is that you, if you look at Steam, for example, the, Steam is a publishing platform where they publish games. If Steam was able to turn it onto a metaverse and where people can enter Steam like virtually and then go walk to, to a game section, let's say uh, adventure games, and they can see other players bonding with each other. I can see it in front of my eyes like, okay, this will be the next big thing. So not, not entering a lobby with just a chat, entering a lobby with real people in a metaverse, that's, that will be the next big thing. I know for sure, Pete.
Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it comes down to human behavior, right? If you think about the 80s and 90s and the, the early development of video games, this was a way for people to spend their free time, right? And that they liked getting into these games and trying to master them or just playing them for whatever, for the, for the hell of it. And then with each generational shift, not even each generational shift, each tech shift that we went through in the late 90s and into the early 2000s and then the, the 2010s, you had a greater population of people on this planet that were aware of this opportunity to go spend their free time gaming. And that as the tech got better, it attracted more and more people to it. And that arc will continue. My question for you as a gamer is, are you compelled with each wave of technology, with the opportunity to be more immersed into these virtual worlds? Does that opportunity compel you to go spend more? Or are you waiting for this quantum leap to say, I want to be able to do so much more before I actually make that jump? Yeah, I think uh, my generation, I'm getting old, of course. I'm 36 years old. I'm, <laughs> hitting my, I'm hitting my 40s. I'm spending more time doing work than doing gaming. But I really think the younger generation, so the generation after me, will hook up with that. I've tried a few Metaverse games. I think technology isn't there yet, but I will definitely use Metaverse when it's more common, when it's more professional, and when there are more players, of course. Will I completely shift from PC gaming to Metaverse gaming? I don't know, because I really like using my keyboard and my mouse because I'm good at it. So it really depends on the usability on the Metaverse. And yeah, if everyone shifts to the Metaverse, then why shouldn't I? So it's, you need, you need the, the proper adoption and the proper technology for it. And you do, you do. No, and, and, and it's no mistake that the, the new Apple Vision Pro, right? Yeah. The new Apple VR, AR headset does look a lot more similar to the headsets worn in that Hollywood version of the metaverse that I need yeah. to stop talking about, Ready Player <laughs> One, and that where it is the mix of VR, but also AR, because there's the clear glass that you can see through yeah. that makes your real world the the physical world a bit more immersive into the virtual world but then that can zoom off or or shut off and that you're just fully immersed in the virtual world but the 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 things such as haptic gloves the controllers but that new headset that reads with cameras your movements of your hands right so perhaps we may not even need haptic gloves to direct where things are going but to feel and experience Right. We've got the vision sorted out because the cameras are now tracking your eyeballs with the newest headsets so that you don't feel as seasick as you do. And it feels like a more natural experience. The cameras are tracking your hands, smell and taste. Perhaps I don't even want to think about where that's going to go. And I've talked with people about that before on this podcast. But, you know, it, it's and I think you've nailed it with the generation before that where the keyboard and the mouse, they may not be doing much of that at all keyboard and mouse, right? And they may be, well, listen, if I'm playing a game, it needs to be something that's more immersive. So eventually we're going to get to the point where we either adopt or, you know, we either we adopt the newer technologies or we just, you know, stay stuck in our ways, right? So yeah, I, I'm with you on this. I think it's the generational shift and these aren't things that move too quickly. Generational shifts take seven, eight, 10 years to move. So yeah, it's, um, it's funny that you mentioned it because Steve Jobs, I think he mentions the, the VR glass 15 or 16 years ago already. So I really believe that Apple, and Apple is like 
the market leader of change. They started a mobile revolution with the iPhone where you don't have a keyboard anymore, but just your screen. And it was like, people were like, no, I, I need a keyboard. And it fully shifted everyone. Even, even grandmas are using a mobile phone without a keyboard. Mm-hmm. So I think Apple is, can really set the next revolution. And I think that's why they waited for this long to make sure that the technology was ready because they have cameras tracking your eyes. They have cameras tracking your hands. If you look at five, six, seven years ago, that wasn't even possible because uh, the speed wasn't enough. And I think they've waited so long to make sure that they have a perfect product. And that's that what really sets Apple. They bring out perfect products, of course, towards a price that they're asking because it's yeah, a normal a normal working guy cannot purchase it because it's really expensive. But eventually, they will set the new the new standard. They will. You got me thinking of Star Wars now because I think it was George Lucas who said that the reason he waited so long to do the prequels was because he wanted the technology to catch up to his vision for how he wanted to create those movies. And yeah, Steve Jobs may he rest in peace, but the tech wasn't there for him to be able to do no, perhaps what he can. had in mind, but it's definitely, it it's get, yeah. definitely, definitely. One of the things yeah. that will keep you ahead of your time, Neil, is experience and learning and knowledge and being able to draw on that and leverage that in all of the different situations that you're in. And what I like to talk about is something called your earned secret, right? From your experience, something that you know that others either don't know and that guides your modus operandi or something that you know that others believe to be false and that you just continue on? Is there something that you can point to that you would call your earned secret? I don't think I have a specific earned secret. I think it goes back years. I'm a, I'm a good listener and I really, when people talk to me, I really listen to what they say. And if I look back 10 years ago, I believe people blindly. I'm like, yeah, you're right. If you say it, then you're right. But yeah, the past 10 years, I stopped believing everyone who said something because I was like, I'm pretty sure that you're wrong because I've read somewhere else that it's different. So listen to, I think listen to people, listening to people is very important, but having your own opinion and make sure that your own knowledge overrules stuff that people say. I have a pretty broad technology experience. So I know quite a few bits of, on tech. Uh, so I don't let anyone tell me how tech works because I know how tech works. And if I don't know it, I will research it myself. And I think that's really important. That's what we did with JR Studio as well. We researched everything. We did an in-depth market analysis. We did a shitload of interviews with studios, which we partnered up with. But again, doing your own research is really important and make sure that you do something that other people need or like. That's a really good point. And I see that in you in that listening and reacting and moving. Is there anything in your, the traditional Dutch traits of directness that you think (laughs) have helped you so far? Well, so far, my team really hates my Dutchness because I'm really, uh, my mind's like, oh, we need to do this. And then I say to my team, okay, guys, we need to do this now. They're like, yeah, but we have so many other stuff to do. Yeah, but we don't need to do this now. I'm just in the Dutch way of saying it, we need to do this. And I think my directness really helps us uh, keep moving forward. Of course, I need to adjust myself sometimes because uh, Marco, he lives in Brazil and Brazilian people are always warm hearted and soft. Alex lives in the US, so sometimes he can be harsh and sometimes he can be sweet. He's, he's, he's in yeah. the middle. 
Yeah, he uh, is. So I really need to adjust myself to make sure that I don't hurt my team's feelings, but it will, it's helping us further. And also talking to clients, talking to investors, being direct, short, it really helps a lot. So it I'm does. glad to be Dutch. <laughs> it does. It does. No. And I am always very empathetic towards people and considerate of others. And that, but sometimes that does get in the way of direct constructive feedback rather than trying to gift wrap things too much. My mom used to say when I was younger, I was still living at home, that it was too sweet for other people. It was like, oh, I will help you with this. Oh, I will help you with that. And someone called me up and said, yeah, I need to move tomorrow. Can you help me moving? I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. And I canceled all my meetings and helped moving. So when I was younger, I was the sweet guy, kind of guy helping everyone. I still help a lot of people. But in, yeah, in the years, I've learned to be more, I don't want to say more Dutch, but more to protect myself and make sure that I get my own goals. And not get anyone else's goals oh yeah well becoming a father your prioritizations change yeah totally you know, <laughs> they, they say the true measure of one's wealth is the amount of free time that you spend with your family and friends right yeah so yeah. things do shift and change and that definitely gives you perspective on your own prioritization mechanism which definitely has shifted for me which has been you know entirely incredible thing to happen so <laughs> Tell me, Neil, we're at the point of the show where I like to ask this last final question that we ask of everybody. What is one thing that people wouldn't expect to know about Neil Peters? Wow, that's a difficult question. <laughs> that's a really difficult question. If you look at my professional, the, the professional side, I don't think people like know that I like to go to festivals and I like to drink beers and I like to party like a madman. Uh, <laughs> awesome. <weekend>. It's like... <laughs> I don't like night festivals, so I, I'm because I'm a dad. I need to wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning to wake up with my kids. So I really like to go to festivals, dance in the sun, and let yourself go to the music and not think of business at all. Just take the 12 or 8 or 12 hours just to relax, enjoy the music, dance, drink beers, and have fun. And it's not many people know that, but it's really, really important for yourself to to let go at a certain point of time. And it will energize, of course, the next day you will have a hangover. But the days after, you'll feel more energized. You, you, you'll get new ideas. So it's really, I think it's important. And not many people know that about me. I think it was Frank Sinatra who said, I feel bad for people who don't drink. When they wake up in the morning, that's the best they're going to feel all day. <laughs> and I, I don't drink a lot. Don't confuse me on that. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. All right. Well, listen, Neil, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? So they can go to our website, jr-studio.io, or they can send me an email, neil at jrstudio.io. Awesome. Love it. Well, listen, Neil, thanks so much for the chat. It was great to dig into things with you, and we'll see you again later on. Thank you, Pete. Great time. That does it for this week, folks. Thanks to Neil Peters for opening up his mind to help us figure out why he does what he does. You can learn more about Neil and JR Studio in the show notes on our website, moneyneversleeps.ie. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating and or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify as it helps others to find the show. Thanks to Conan Brophy from Create Sound for mixing and editing this episode. Conan is an excellent media man to get in touch with when you're thinking about launching your own podcast. As for me, I'm an early stage startup investor focused on where fintech meets crypto and crypto meets Web3, and I lead the Techstars Web3 Accelerator. There are plenty of links in the show notes on moneyneversleeps.ie on how to get in touch, so don't hesitate to reach out. Finally, till next time, thanks for listening. See you!